welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Sigoy. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Glenn. Um, Glenn is a novelist, a playwright, author, and co-author of several books, one of them being um, Food is Climate and America Goes Vegan. Glenn, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Maxim? Good. Excited to have you on the podcast. Glad to be here. Beautiful. So let's talk about, there's two books specifically that you uh, wrote that I'd like to dive into. One of them is Food is Climate, and then your newest one is America Goes Vegan. So which one would you like to start with? Oh, well, let's do it in order. Let's talk about uh, Food is Climate first. Perfect. All right. So what? So the, the whole book is about, obviously, environment. Like I mentioned to you before we started recording, a lot of the guests that I've had on have been about health or animal cruelty. So this is the first time we're going to be talking about environment. So what, for the people that um, potentially have never heard of you before, never heard of the book, what can they expect when they get the book? Well, Food and Climate is a is a short book. It's only something like 60, 65 pages of text followed by vegan, whole food, no oil, sugar-free, gluten-free recipes. Um, but the text tries to make the case that the leading cause of climate change is in fact animal agriculture. We always hear about how you know, it's the burning of fossil fuels. Well, the burning mm. of fossil fuels is a factor. It is the second leading cause of climate change. But the leading cause by far is animal agriculture. And you come to that conclusion when you do honest accounting. Um, you have to look at all the land that's devoted to animal agriculture. That is 40% of the non-ice land surface of the earth is wow. kind of fenced off and left for cows and sheep and goats to graze. 40% of the earth. Well, imagine if we didn't do that. Imagine if we didn't foolishly eat animals and we rewilded that land. The answer is that enough forests would grow back and enough vegetation would grow back that we would sequester enough carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere that we would return to the pre-industrial age levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We would return to like 1750 in terms of how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. And That's that crazy. is the only way to solve the crisis. There is no other way mathematically. You know, for 30 years, we've heard about nothing but fossil fuels mm -hmm. and we're burning more fossil fuels now than we were 30 years ago. But even if tomorrow, let's indulge a fantasy, tomorrow, there's no more burning of fossil fuels. All the cars and trucks on the road are electric. All the electricity is clean electricity generated by solar and wind and hydroelectric power. Um, all the, 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 we're cooking only with electric, clean electric, not with gas. 
We're heating and cooling our homes somehow without ever burning any fossil fuels. No more fossil fuels tomorrow. The question is, would the planet stop heating? And the answer is no, because it's a cumulative problem. We're accumulating carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and you would still have 1.5 billion cows belching methane, which is 120 times as powerful a greenhouse gas as carbon dioxide. You would still have deforestation, which yeah. almost always happens to accommodate animal agriculture. And you would still have the destruction of the oceans and limiting its ability to serve as a carbon sink. And the oceans are being destroyed by industrial fishing, which in my mind is just another facet of animal agriculture. So you've, you've, you, you can't solve the problem with solar panels and, and, um, you know, and light bulbs uh, that, uh, that uh, are clean energy. So um, there is no solution to this other than ending animal agriculture or getting as close to it as we possibly can. And once you end animal agriculture and you, and you let the oceans heal and you let the land heal, then you could pull down so much carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere that the crisis ends. Yeah. So I, I, I was reading on, on your, on your website, you say it's the grazing of the animals that sabotages some of the land because it, yeah. uh, the earth is getting exposed and it's drying up. It's not growing anymore. So right. it, is it the, the amount? Cause obviously they are in a mass producing animals at this point, right? Inseminating cows to have, babies right. and all that stuff so you know they're like mass producing animals to a certain extent so is it the large quantity of animals that's on the planet that they're just kind of like forcing and that's why they need more land uh or is it the combination with the grazing and having to take all that land yeah it's it's animals that were never meant to be so dominant on the earth goats mm -hmm. and sheep and cows in fact cows aren't even a natural animal we bred them from oxen but we have made them, you know, uh, great conquerors of the earth. There are one and a half billion cows. There's far more cow uh, biomass than any other animal. Um, and look at this image, which I have on the cover of my book, Food is Climate. You see the deserts that go from the Sahara Desert, across Africa, to the um, deserts of the Middle East, to the Thar Desert in Northern India, mm -hmm. to the Gobi Desert in China. Now, you, this is a satellite image, and we've all seen images like this before, so you're not shocked to see it. You know that there are deserts in that part of the world. Yeah. But think about it. Why was the Earth created with deserts right in that area? How did that happen? Well, when did humans begin agriculture? 10,000 years ago. When did they start chopping down forests and grazing goats and other animals? 10,000 years ago. And in 10,000 years, humans did this. Now, some people may object. There are other factors involved in the creation of the Sahara, the wobble of the Earth's axis and so forth. I'm not disputing there could be other factors. But um, certainly one of the aggravating factors was man-made it was 
uh, or human-made. It was the grazing of animals across that part of the world where civilization began. And if we do that to the rest of the earth, and we could do it much more quickly now, like we're doing it in the Amazon, that took 10,000 years. Yeah, uh, But we could do it much more quickly now. And if the whole world becomes desert, uh, you know, it's going to be a little hard to live. Yeah, it's going to be a little hard to eat. So yeah. wh what are um, actionable things that people can do that are listening to, to this episode? Because obviously we, we see the bigger picture of, that you painted, but what are, what are things that people can do in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, the most important thing is that everybody has to go plant-based. Uh, you know, on a healthy, low fat, vegan diet. Um, and so if everybody does that, then animal agriculture, especially in the United States, will begin to fold, will begin to yeah. fold their tent. Um, now, the other thing you can do is get other people to go plant based. Um, I don't think there's much hope at this point for any political solutions. I don't think Congress is about to pass a law to create a, a tax on slaughterhouses or to do any number of other things that I might approve of. But believe me, I'm in the minority here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just not going to become law. If I yeah. ran for president, I would lose overwhelmingly. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't look to uh for political solutions to this now it has to be a grassroots thing more and more people have to go plant-based stop creating demand for animal products and then uh, that you know that whole industry is being held up by federal tax subsidies anyway so that you know that's one thing that we could try to pressure the politicians to do is to stop subsidizing animal agriculture. Unfortunately, that's the one thing the Republicans and the Democrats agree upon. They want to keep subsidizing the foods that are killing us. Yeah. Um, but if we can stop subsidizing animal agriculture, that industry will begin to uh, disappear. And we just have to stop buying their products. Yeah. So I'm curious, what got you to, to do this type of work and work and, and write these types of books? Like what, what, what got you here, Glenn? Well, okay. The whole story begins when I was 17 and I became so a like vegetarian. like 10 years ago? 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I became a vegetarian at 17 because for health reasons, not that there was anything wrong with my health, but my mother, who was maybe just 10 pounds overweight, not not very overweight, but she would walk up six steps and she would start to get angina pains. And so she had a heart condition. Uh, her two brothers died of heart attacks when I was 16. Mm. Now, in addition to eating meat, they also smoked cigarettes. So they were setting themselves up for it. But still, they had high cholesterol and heart disease runs in the family. Uh, my grandparents, I never knew. They were dead before I was born. And um, so, uh, you know, I didn't want to. And on my father's side of the family, I, none of the men seemed to live past their 50s. So, you know, I didn't want to be middle aged at 25. Yeah. And so I just instinctively became a vegetarian. Now, I, 
I don't know exactly how I knew that eating meat causes heart disease. I don't, I don't remember reading any books about it. I remember hearing the Dick, the comedian Dick Gregory talking about it, but I think people generally knew even back then, even 10 or 15 years ago, whenever it was, yeah. uh, I think people knew that eating meat causes heart disease. So I stopped eating meat, but I had an obese aunt and uncle. They must've been around 300 pounds. And they were very concerned about me. They said, where are you going to get your protein? I hadn't thought about it. And I just took a wild yeah. guess. And I said, from cheese. And so very stupidly, for the next 19 years, I had no animal products except for cheese. I didn't have eggs. I didn't have any kind of meat or fish or fowl. But I had cheese. And then I was in my 30s. And I started to feel pains around my heart. Mm. And I thought, man, the world is unfair to me. I'm a vegetarian and I'm still getting pains around my heart. Boy, I have terrible genes. And then I thought, well, yeah, but I've been eating cheese. What, what is cheese? It's saturated fat and cholesterol. So I'm not eating meat because of the saturated fat and cholesterol, but I'm eating cheese. So, and they both, of course, have animal protein, which is bad for you. Mm -hmm. So I gave up the cheese and I never had a heart pain again. I never went to the doctor. I just gave up cheese and I've been fine ever since. Yeah. And so that's what kind of like, that's what led you to step into the environmental piece. So, well, well, that's what led me to be a, a vegan. Then as a vegan, I got to, I got introduced in Hollywood to uh, my friend Howard Lyman, who was a fourth generation cattle rancher turned vegan and animal rights activist. Um, so little before your time, Maxim, but in 1996, it was that Howard was on Oprah's show and he talked about mad cow disease and Oprah said, um, uh, that's it. I'm not going to eat another hamburger. And she got sued by some lunatic cattle ranchers and they sued her and Howard together. Um, so, um, I worked with Howard on his book, mad cowboy on our book, mad cowboy. And that became my first book. And in writing that book, you know, until then I had been a vegetarian, then a vegan for health reasons. But yeah. I learned from Howard how destructive it was to the land to conduct mm -hmm. animal agriculture, how he had poisoned the land in Montana where he had a what had originally been an organic farm and he turned it into a modern feedlot operation. And I began to see that in order to protect the streams, the rivers, the waterways, the land, we have to we have to end animal agriculture. Um, so, um, that's what got me changed my, my approach until then I had been a shy vegan. I didn't talk to other people. I wasn't interested in what other people ate and now I am. And it really, it isn't because I'm terribly interested in, you know, what other people eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's that we only have one planet, you know, and it's destroying the planet. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um, 
So I think like I was, I was three, by the way, when that episode came out with Oprah, okay. <laughs> but I'm I've sure heard, you were I've reading about moment. it, now, I, but I've heard of that moment though. Um, I went Oprah, when I first transitioned to veganism, I did some research into some of the, yeah. the stories that had come out. And I know there was like a big kind of like pivotal moment. Yeah. So for obviously you, I think you wrote around 11 books now and co-wrote, wrote and co-wrote. I think it's maybe 12. Yeah. 12 now. Okay. So 12 books. So all within kind of like a similar theme in them with the plant-based aspect. Well, they, yeah, they they're all encouraging people to go vegan or plant-based, however you want to say it. Um, there are differences. One of the books is actually a novel called Off the Reservation, which is about a vegan congressman from Indiana who runs for president. So I've done it in a fiction context context um i also have my books with chef aj i saw that right and chef aj wrote unprocessed and the secrets to ultimate weight loss so a weight loss book um and now she has the 10th anniversary edition of unprocessed which is more of a cookbook with pictures um and so i co-authored her books and um, and the new book is called America Goes Vegan, in which I try to make both the health and the environmental and the cultural case for why we need a transformation to a vegan world. Well, let's dive into that. But before we go into America Goes Vegan, I want to ask you, what made you choose the word vegan over plant-based? Because right now online, there's a big dichotomy between the two of them. Yeah, you know, there's a there's an organization. I think they call it call it We Did It dot Health, something like that. Okay. The, the, you know, it's a uh, nice organization where they, I think what they're trying to do is um, compile stories of people who who uh, improve their health by going plant based or vegan. But you have to fill out a form first, <laughs> and I go to fill out the form, and it gives me a choice. Am I a vegan or am I whole food plant-based? Well, I'm both, right? I mean, I'm not eating any animal food, so I'm vegan. But yeah. I'm, I'm not eating vegan donuts. I'm eating fruits and vegetables. So I'm whole food plant-based. So well, why do I have to choose? <laughs> right? I'm yeah. both. So then the question is, well, which term should we use? And different people in the movement prefer different terms. Yeah. You know, uh, I think Dr. T. Colin Campbell, who wrote the China study, likes the term whole food plant based. Uh, Dr. John McDougall likes the term starchivore. Mm -hmm. Starchivore, someone who fuels their body mainly with natural starches, like in potatoes and corn. And, and, um, you know, others use the term vegan. The important thing is that you're not eating animal products, which are unhealthy for you, and that you're eating whole foods. So I, I suppose if I had to call myself something, I'd call myself a whole food, low-fat vegan, right? But I'm not afraid of the word vegan because that's what we need. We need a vegan transformation of the world. We need people to understand that animals are not our food plants are our food 
And we need to spurn this industry that's doing so much damage. So, you know, we need to celebrate veganism, but it's not enough to just, you know, not eat animals. That just tells you what you're not eating. So in terms of health, you could be a vegan and having vegan donuts and vegan ice cream and coconut oil and all these unhealthy things that some people eat if they if they come to this movement just for the concern for the animals yeah so you know if you really want a vegan transformation of the world you want to be a healthy vegan so that people will look at you and say i want to be like him or her you know you 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 want to be a good model for health also you want to live long enough to fight for the animals right if you if that's your one cause animals well then live long enough to fight for them don't become a 300 pound vegan you know and have vegan donuts and not care at all about your own health we should all care yeah. about our own health so uh it's very important to me that you know that people be whole food low fat vegans not imagine that they could you know be healthy on on vegan donuts and fake meats made with coconut oil yeah i talk to a lot of people um that want to lose weight that are vegan but are struggling with weight loss because they went vegan for the environment or for the animals and for many years, they just, they didn't care about their health. They cared more about the animal than their own health. So they would just be like, I'm just going to live off vegan pizza, vegan burgers, all that food. At least I'm vegan. I'm helping the animals, but you're right. There's a, there's a longevity aspect to like, you want to be able to help them for a long time, because if you're right. eating processed food, whether it's vegan, even if it's vegan, you're still hurting your health tremendously. Right. And, and, and if you care so much about the animals, and that's very nice to care about the animals, are there any people in your life you might care about? You maybe have a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a parent or a child or, a, you know, close friends. Well, wouldn't you want to keep yourself healthy for them? You know, isn't there, there's nothing, you know, I, I used to um, tell people, that I, I became vegetarian originally for health reasons. And they said, they would say, oh, so you just did it for selfish reasons. What in the world is selfish about trying to keep yourself healthy? If there are people you love, you're trying to keep yourself healthy for them too, right? So, yeah. you know, there's nothing selfish about staying healthy and doing your best to stay healthy. Yeah, you because we recorded on your show, I think like a week or two ago, um, uh, love the name of your podcast, by the way, as well. So it, after we recorded, I saw a quote on Instagram, which mm -hmm. was for directed towards men and eating plant-based. And it said like, men often say that they're willing to die for their family, but then they go like, but are you willing to change how you eat to be there long enough for your family? Right. And I thought that hit hard. That hit exactly. home for, I think for a lot of people, it's the, exactly. they're willing to do everything ah, besides stopping eating steak and chicken. Yeah. Yeah, it really is selfish to eat hamburgers. Absolutely. You know, that's selfishness. I, I'm with you on that. Because like we talked about before, like I was a caregiver to my ex going through her cancer journey. And I saw how much, I can't even imagine the amount of pain she was in, but the amount of stress and hardship that I went through having to see someone that I love suffer 
Right. If you become unhealthy, it is selfish to be unhealthy because then there's going to be a point in your life where your partner or your kids are forced to take care of you because right. you didn't take care of yourself. So it's actually right. selfish to eat shit food. It's not right. selfish to eat healthy food. <laughs> right. And, you know, you know, we're all mortal and, and things happen and you could get bad luck or, you know, you know, this diet doesn't make you bulletproof, but puts the chances it's on within your, your control. It's within your control to increase your odds for longevity and health. And yeah. so, you know, if, if you, if you eat your way into heart disease, that's, you know, that's something you have control over. So there's just no reason to do it. Yeah. I use the analogy of a seatbelt. If you have a seatbelt when you're getting in a car accident, you're less likely to die versus if you don't have it. Veganism right. is that seatbelt, right? right? Greatly reduces the risk. Right. Um, let's dive into the your latest book, America Goes Vegan. All right. What are some of the main highlights that you wanted people to get out of it when you wrote it? Good question. I think one of the main ideas is that it's important not to be a shy vegan. It's important to try to promote a vegan transformation of the world. And it's patriotic to go vegan because the, the land in America is being destroyed by animal agriculture. We have these lagoons of cow manure. Mm -hmm. Why do we want our beautiful country to have lagoons of cow manure? Why do we want our fellow citizens who own property downwind of a pig farm not to be able to breathe? Yeah, I lived on a farm. It smells terrible. <laughs> yeah. This is our beautiful country and it's being destroyed by animal agriculture, you know? Um, and so uh, this the cover, the cover image you know, is yeah, New York Statue of Liberty holding broccoli. And, uh, you know, we need to realize that the patriotic thing to do is to go vegan. And we want our soldiers and our, you know, our police, our firefighters to be on a healthy diet to protect us. And, um, you know, and we want to spread the word spread the word that this is the healthiest diet and that therefore we should all be doing this and we should be protecting our country and the world with, with eating the right diet. And why turn over the planet to cows? That's just a preposterous thing to do. And then there are the oceans that are being destroyed by industrial fishing. Yeah. It, 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 can people not understand that there's not an infinite number of fish in the sea? You know, we, we, are, we are extracting all life from the sea. There's this wonderful documentary, Sea Spiracy. I was just going to bring that up. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, it's a Sea Spiracy, in which I learned, I didn't know this, that when they capture dolphins in their mile wide nets, I guess people don't eat dolphin meat. I don't know if that's because it doesn't taste good or they're, they're cute. I don't know, but people don't eat dolphins. Mm -hmm. So when they capture the dolphins, you would think that they would have the decency 
to just let them live and throw them back in the ocean. But they don't. They don't do that. They first slice them up with knives, kill them, and then they throw them back into the ocean. And they do that because the dolphins are competing with them for the tuna. Mm -hmm. That is how depraved this industry is. So, you know, we need to just stop this industry. You know, I, I know there are good people, I'm sure, who are involved in animal agriculture, good people who work in the fishing industry, and I feel sorry for them. And we should, the governments should help them transition to doing something useful. Um, and, you know, they shouldn't be just thrown out of work with, with no support. I think but it's a money thing. For What's a that? lot of them, I think it's a money. That's how they make their living, right? So I feel like yeah. they, if they could make the same amount of money or, uh, while doing something else, they would do it. Yeah. I don't think none of them are that hardcore that they were like, if you were to remove my pay, I would still do it. I think none yeah. of them would do that. So we need to transition people from being chicken poultry farmers to being mushroom farmers, and from from being you know from being fishermen to you know helping plants you know helping uh, support sea forests or you know whatever we can do to uh, to help these people do something useful instead of destroying the world yeah there, there's that scene in seaspiracy with i believe it's with the orcas or the whales mm -hmm. on when they're on the beach i couldn't even look at that scene yeah because they're just slicing them up and it's oh yeah, <laughs> couldn't do it. That's how I feel when I walk in the grocery store and there's the meat section. Yeah. I look at the ground. I can't I can't look up and look at it. And that section in the grocery store smells so bad. Isn't that a clue? Yeah, yeah. It smells food. bad and they feel they need to put red light to make the meat look brighter. Um, yeah. yeah. And then they, you know, they, they paint the salmon, you know, they color the salmon to, to make it uh, look edible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty nasty. So, how can we help America go vegan or the world ultimately? What are what are like tangible steps that people can take to kind of like start their journey and get a little bit more educated about it? Because right. I would say maybe 40-50% of people listening are vegetarian and then 50% are vegan. All right. So well, I certainly split. wouldn't object if you buy my book, read it and give it to a friend, so there's that. Which we'll link in the bio for people to get okay. it. Okay, so that's America Goes Vegan is the latest, and before that, food is climate, and before that, own your health. Um, but again, take care of your own health. Get on a healthy, low-fat vegan diet, and convince others, convince your family, convince your friends. Help make this a transformation, and it, it's got to be grassroots. The politicians will not do this for us. Yeah, it's a, the people are going to cause a revolution for everyone to go plant-based. And yeah. I love what you mentioned earlier. If you are a 300-pound vegan, uh, people won't necessarily listen to you or believe you. Uh, ultimately, you're a walking billboard at all times, right? Even if you're not right. vegan, you're a walking billboard. Right. You're a representation of the choices that you choose to publicly announce to, to people. Um, right. So if you... Like, I think that's been my most powerful tool to help people go vegan and transition is lead by example, which is why I did so many competitions and events because right. like you did all that being vegan. Maybe it's possible for me too. And then people are genuinely interested in asking you questions versus going to people and being like, 
you're a murderer. You have to, you right. know, I think there's places for both, but ultimately I found that the best transition towards be a walking billboard, lead by example. And then people, mm -hmm. people are attracted to people that are genuine, that are achieving certain things in their life. Yeah. And then they're more receptive to the information. Right. Well, I'm not a bodybuilder like, like you are and a, a fit, uh, an athlete, a fitness champion, but I'll say this, I'm older than you are. I'm a generation older at least. And in my sixties now, I've never had to take a pharmaceutical drug in my life other than an antibiotic on a few occasions, like when I had, you know, oral surgery or something. Yeah. Um, and that's leading um, by example though, because that's a good, call it a good flex, right? And be yeah. like, Hey, I'm 60 plus. I've never had to do any of that right. when everyone else is on medication. And you know, right. my, my grandfather passed away. He was 63. There Still you very young. I'm older yeah. than your your grandfather. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, I try to be an example that way. I'm also the same weight that I was in high school and college, right? Um, and while I'm not a fitness guy, I'll tell you this. I was able to do 20 push-ups when I was 12 years old, and I was able to do 20 push-ups in my 20s and 30s and 40s. I still do 20 push-ups. I do 20, I get tired. But nice. I'm, you know, I'm still at that same level. It's not a world class athlete level, but I'm but it's still impressive. That, I'm still at that same modest level of being somewhat fit. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, as you get older, it gets more impressive yeah. too, right? Because people's yeah. health. The I can't remember what it was a documentary. It was at the Plantrition Project, which mm -hmm. is a plant based doctor conference that happened a few weeks ago. Right. They were talking about how people's health from birth to about like 50-ish years old, everyone mm -hmm. is pretty much in the same spot. They could group people, but there was something post 50, 60 years old that it went in two different directions. Like people were either super healthy or super sick. No one really stayed in the middle. It was like right. a defining moment as to how you're going to choose to live the rest of your life. So right. you're you're up there staying healthy, yeah. doing your push-ups. <laughs> Let me tell you a story that I think shows something about the degree of my health and the benefits of this diet. One thing that the whole food plant-based diet will not protect you from is a hernia. Yeah. You know, I guess you're just kind of genetically disposed to it or predisposed to it or whatever it is. But last year, about a year and a few months ago, I sneezed. And the whole food plant-based diet does not prevent sneezing. I sneezed and I said, ow. And then I looked in my groin and I had a hernia. And it kind of looks like half, a half of a tennis ball sticking out of your body. You know, it's not very. I had one when I was younger. I got operated for it. So I know, okay. the, I know yeah. the pain. <laughs> so I said, I said to my wife, oh, it's not too serious. It's a hernia. They, you know, they have, it's a minor operation, I'm sure. I'll look into it. Should be nothing. Well, it is a minor operation. It's not a terribly serious operation. There are millions of these operations all, all the time, but it's fairly complex because the way they're often done now is laparoscopic surgery, where they blow up your belly with carbon dioxide gas 
And then they place a synthetic plastic mesh in you to hold the repair in place. And I'm mm. not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, millions of people get it. I'm sure most of them are fine. I didn't want it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that synthetic mesh in my body. Yeah. Um, and you will find online some people who say, I got that mesh and it ruined my life. So I didn't want it. And I also didn't want it because what would happen if, 10, if I got that synthetic mesh and 10 years from now or 15 years from now, I got, let's say, rheumatoid arthritis? What would be my first thought? Oh, it's that damn mesh. I knew I shouldn't have gotten that. And I'd start looking for are there class action lawsuits because, you know, do other people have this problem? I just didn't want to think about yeah. it. So I Googled, I consulted Dr. Google and, and Dr. Google told me that there are doctors out there who perform uh, hernia repairs the old fashioned way. Um, it's called open surgery instead of laparoscopic. They just cut you open where you in your groin, where the problem is. Mm -hmm. And they use certain techniques and I couldn't explain what they are. One is called the Schuldice method. One is called the Desarda method that to repair the, the, the hernia without using any synthetic mesh. And I found a doctor in Sarasota, Florida, where I went to college who did it, who was willing to do it that way. He also uses mesh, but I told him I didn't want it. He said, fine. And so uh, my wife and I drove to Sarasota for the operation. And I had consulted with his staff about what should I take for a painkiller? So the man's going to be cutting me open in my groin and doing surgery. I'm probably going to have some pain. And they told me what to take. And I have trouble. I can't really swallow a pill. So I wasn't sure what to do. I got some, some uh, I forget, some uh, liquid uh, uh, common pain reliever. I forget what it's called. Tylenol, liquid Tylenol. Um, and then I had the surgery. I woke up in the operating room and I said to the nurse, oh, I'm, I'm alive. That's good wait a minute, there's no pain. There's no pain. And she said, well, of course, there's no pain. You're still under the effect of the anesthesia. And I said, oh, all right. She said, wait till tomorrow. Well, tomorrow came and there was no pain. And the next day there was no pain. And I never had any pain. I never, had, a I never had to take an aspirin. Nothing. Now, he cut me open in my groin prepared me, sewed me shut, and I never had any pain. And I could only tell you that pain is related to inflammation. Yeah. And there's no real inflammation in my body because the food I'm eating is human food. And when you eat foods that aren't human food, dairy, meat, refined processed flowers, food. Yeah. yeah, processed foods, that's when you get inflammation. I've had my inflammation, the CRP test measured, you know, it's close to zero. So I never had any pain. So that's what you could accomplish if you eat human food and only human food. You could reduce, uh, you know, inflammation in your body, which is good in all kinds of ways. Yeah, and speed up recovery. You made me think of uh, James Wilkes from the Game Changers. Same thing uh -huh. when he got surgery on both his knees. 
one plan base to kind of speed up yeah. the recovery. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 so much to it that people don't think that it would help with. Um, so I'm curious to know. So just from your from your experience, because you've been vegan for for a while now, at least 10, 15 years. Oh, 30 years. 30 years. Okay. Yeah. So you've been vegan for 30 years. So what have been some of your your biggest takeaways that you could share with people that are considering wanting to eat more plant-based, specifically whole food plant-based? My major point is it's not hard if you can uh, if you ha- have some time you can spend preparing your own food. There's nothing if you, you know, uh, can have some time every day th- that you can prepare food in the kitchen or if you don't have that much sometime every day, then at least sometime over the weekend where you can batch cook and prepare food for during the week. But it's not hard to prepare the food that you need to to have this kind of diet. You know, to prepare rice, to either cook beans from scratch or get cans of beans and open up a can of beans and rinse it and warm up beans, cook lentils, cook oatmeal, um, put a, a tempeh, uh, slice of tempeh in the toaster oven, mm-hmm. uh, make salads, uh, you know, prepare some healthy raw foods like salads, uh, avocado, uh, you know, uh, uh, fruit. Um, it's the food isn't hard. There's nothing really difficult about. I mean, you can follow recipes and make gourmet vegan meals, but baking a potato boiling a potato, steaming a potato, excuse me, none of this is hard. The hard part is other people. Yeah. Hard part is society. The hard part is dealing with Aunt Rosie at Thanksgiving. You know, can you have this? It only has eggs in it. No, no, I can't have eggs. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. The hard part is being at work with your colleagues and they order the pepperoni pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard part is dealing with the flack you may get from other people, especially if you're sensitive. Um, what yeah. if your spouse doesn't want to go vegan with you, you know? Um, yeah. So other people are the problem. The food isn't the problem. The food is easy to do. It's yeah. not like you have to be. I'm not a gourmet cook. You don't have to be a gourmet cook to cook this way. You can fry your vegetables in water and that's a lot healthier than oil you know you can put your vegetables in a steamer you could make pasta i mean you know there are all kinds of foods that are not hard to make the food isn't hard the people and the restaurants you know the society that's that's the thing that other people find very difficult to overcome yeah, for sure. You definitely develop a thicker skin being vegan, especially yeah. if you choose to stick to it um, for a long term. Um, just for I, I just thought about that for the food aspect for people that are struggling. Um, I, I announced this a few podcasts ago, but have you heard of the company called Whole Harvest? Yes. Yeah, so I don't it's know a, much about them, but I, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, so they, they upper- make packaged foods, packaged meals. 
Yeah, but it's the at least it's the only company I've ever found across the United States that does whole food plant based, oil free, low fat, and SOS free meals mm -hmm. made fresh that they deliver to your house everywhere in the United okay. States. It's pretty great. Um, I'm a lazy yeah. cook. I'm not a master chef either. So they yeah. um, we partnered up with them for our members, but I order some of their meals and. Honestly, yeah. they're able to make it taste better than I would make it taste, uh -huh. uh, but it's very simple versus right. having to kind of like cook everything. So just an option right. for people listening. Yes. I'll put the link below so people can kind of um, check it out. I'm also going to pick the put the link below for your your two books, ultimately your your website as well and your podcast okay. too. So people can go and listen to the podcast episodes we did together. Okay, great. Beautiful. You're welcome. Well, Glenn, I say a massive thank you for taking the time to jump on the podcast, share your knowledge, share your wisdom. Um, and I honestly believe that it helped people, you know, have a better understanding of the impact that it's having for them to eat more plant-based and what happens if they don't transition. Um, because you're right, from an env environmental standpoint, which I don't think a lot of people talk enough about, which is why I was really happy to have you on the show. There's such a huge impact that is disregarded by the majority of the world. And you know, we're going to be hopefully on this planet for another for a long time and we want it to stay healthy right absolutely awesome well everyone thank you very much for listening to the episode be sure to uh like it i know you can't like it on podcast if you're on youtube like it share <laughs> it leave a comment leave a review and we'll see all you guys in the next episode bye thank you for listening if you enjoyed the episode and would like to support please share it with others that would benefit from it share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review you can also follow me on instagram at maxim underscore official and on youtube at fit vegan the links will also be in the show notes i'll see you in the next episode